My name is Gene Colan, and welcome to my studio. Each time I got a story, it was always uppermost in my mind as to how different can I make this one, and this one, and so on. And as they came in, it was, I just threw myself into it, lived another life in a sense. I tried to get into that story myself. I tried to jump into the page and try to imagine what it would be like to see it visually as an outsider. When you have it developed a style, it's as recognizable as your hand, as your handwriting. Same thing. I wanted the, the story to be sort of uh, mystifying and sinister. Hello, listeners. Here comes FW Presents, the high-flying anthology show of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. I'm Ryan Daly, and I'm back to celebrate another comic book illustrated by my favorite artist, Gene Colan. This time, I'm throwing the spotlight on the book that I think Colan drew the most throughout his entire career, and that is The Man Without Fear himself, Daredevil. My guest is a fellow Fire & Water Network all-star who chaperones the Ohatmu or Not podcast, as well as FW Team Up and other shows. Say hello to Siskoid. How's it going, man? Uh, it's going good. Uh, I am sure that the people who listen to your shows, if they know anything about you, they know that you love Daredevil. Am I right? It's, it's, it's Daredevil, <laughs> and then maybe if they know something else, they might think of you as like Doctor Who fan or something. Maybe, maybe the doc, the Daredevil thing is first. I don't know. I, you know what? I, I'm not even sure I ever mentioned it before on, <laughs> <laughs> on a podcast. But I, I am a Daredevil fan. Yes. Is he your favorite Marvel hero? Uh, he's, he's certainly one of them. I know my favorite is supposed to be Hawkeye. I think <laughs> at this point. But uh, Daredevil has always been, or ever since I encountered him, uh, one of my favorites. I've always liked the. I wouldn't call him a B-level hero necessarily. You know, I, I think of him as an A-level. But there were books in the 80s that were strong and interesting, but I don't think they were considered the A-level. I think they, they were sort of like the the, the, ba the the second lineup, you know, the second bench. People like the Hulk, people like Daredevil uh, were among that group. We weren't quite as popular. And I'm, I'm saying Daredevil like post-Frank um, Miller, you know, obviously – there were moments for Daredevil where he was very, very popular, and then others where he's just like he's this—he's the second level of Spider-Man sort of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, so I liked those characters that maybe weren't in the public consciousness as much as uh, as some of the others. I talked about him with Shag about a year ago, I think, um, for of all things, an episode of uh, uh, Power Fishnets. Mm -hmm. And I, as I was kind of talking about it with him, it almost kind of dawned on me that I've never thought of Daredevil as one of my favorite Marvel heroes, but I really should because pound for pound, I have probably read more great Daredevil comics and stories than almost any other Marvel hero, like consistently in terms of what I've read. Like, why the hell is Ant-Man one of my favorite Marvel heroes when I can count the number of great Ant-Man stories on one hand? Whereas Daredevil's got hundreds of great stories by great runs, super creators, like that, that very wildly in, in tone and style. And that's one of the things that I, that I have uh, really appreciated and, and thought, you know, I, I was familiar with the Frank Miller version because I had read The Man Without Fear. I had that trade paperback. That was one of my first comic book experiences with Daredevil. Um, and then really started collecting during the Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Malia version, which I adored. And I still think that is one of my all-time favorite comic book runs. Um, so when you put those things together and then like the continuation by Ed Brubaker, you have this version of Daredevil that is very urban vigilante, crime noir centric. And uh, th this was actually occurring to me. A lot of people, you know, within the fan culture, they, they, they draw the comparisons to Batman and Daredevil. You know, they, they throw a lot of comparisons out there. And I've always kind of bristled at those comparisons because I thought a lot of them were kind of superficial. But one of the ways that one of the comparisons that I think actually rings very true for me is I think both Batman and Daredevil really slot into very different types of stories. And you can break away from different like sets and tones. Like 
clearly I love the Bendis and Malie version of Daredevil. And I can say that The Dark Knight is my favorite Batman movie. And what those two have in common is I think they, they sort of, those are stories about superheroes that sort of transcend the superhero genre and take it into more of a crime saga area. But just because I like those and those might be my favorites does not mean those are the only versions I like. And I think fans really get into trouble. Uh, and they, they sound kind of ridiculous when you assume that if you like The Dark Knight, then that must be the only way you can do Batman. Because I like other versions of Batman. And, you know, as much as I loved that, that version of Daredevil, I was thrilled with the Mark Wade and Chris Samney version of Daredevil that came afterward, which was totally very different. And as we're going to see, as we're going to talk about this one, I love the early Stan Lee and Gene Colan versions of Daredevil, which is very different than what uh, Frank Miller and... and um, and the Senti were doing in the eighties. Do you? I mean, how do you feel about that? And do you have like s- certain runs or favorite eras of the character? Sure, uh, I think you, you're absolutely right that Batman works on that super gritty level, but he also works as Batman sixty six. Mm-hmm. You know, it, there are goofy Batman stories. There are Batman stories where he's this hero about town walking down the street, uh, uh, and there are some really wild, weird Batman stories as well. Mm-hmm. And the character is sort of uh, amorphous enough. He's one of those characters that can sort of move between genres and tones mm-hmm. in a way that many others, it's just not something that, that's happened uh, over the course of their, their careers. And even the other direction, I think you can take the characters in like darker, more horrific areas, sure. even like supernatural, yeah. in ways that maybe you wouldn't do with Superman or Spider-Man. You could slot Daredevil into a horror story, I think. Yes, and it's happened. Uh, you know, one of his one of his created villains is uh, the Mephisto's son, uh, Blackheart, or something like that. Yep, whatever. Yep, yep. The, yeah. So there, there are like three ways to do him, more or less. There is the okay. This is a gritty crime drama. Why? Because he's a lawyer, and so there's that whole lawyer aspect, uh, defense attorney or district attorney. I mean, he's done he's done both. So it's about crime, and he lives in Hell's Kitchen. You know, it's basically every street is crime alley. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the way they paint it. So you can do it that way. You can also say, well, he's called Daredevil, so he is sort of the. I mean, he's a a blind person who throws himself off roofs. There is a joy of life that should come out of him. A part of him is doing it for a thrill, mm-hmm. uh, and he's a thrill seeker in that way. And I think we see that in the Stanley era, certainly. That that is a big part of the character in the issue that we're going to cover. And other people have have gone that way. I think that the uh, you know I left Marvel through the '90s and came back to it when they sort of uh, came out a few books that they said were going to be a little more a little brighter. And one of those books was Daredevil by Carl Kiesel. And so I came back to Marvel briefly uh, at the end of the 90s for some of those books. And we had that. We had like, uh, you know, like uh, that Avengers story. I think it was like George Perez and, um, you know, basically they did like a fantasy story with them. So Mm -hmm. the Carl Kiesel run was short, but about a Daredevil that was lighter, brighter, that played into that. And I think the Mark Wade run, which is excellent, also played with that. Uh, where they sort of married and, and, and made it like, okay, yeah, Daredevil's had a rough life in the past uh, couple decades, but he's, he's going to put a lighter spin on it just to survive, basically. Mm-hmm. So uh, we've had those stories. The third way to do it is perhaps where Anne Nascenti went with it, and it, it's the the devil part of it. The hellish, Hell's Kitchen, devil, let's do horror, let's do weirdness, let's play with uh, the, you know, his his senses, uh, let's, let's stop deconstructing, destroying his life, which was what Frank Miller did, and now who is he? Where, you know, he's sort of stuck in this, this strange landscape where the outside is almost surreal, but we have to understand that inside his head he's he's lacking one sense and he has a sense that we do not have the, the, the you know the radar sense so the world to him is strange and so make those stories strange mm-hmm. so i came aboard with actually i came aboard with the uh the frank miller and um denny o'neill runs but i don't have those comics I do have trades of them now, but I don't have those comics. Basically, there was this uh, this guy at school I was not friends with, uh, except as a comic book fan, which I think he kept really secret. I wouldn't say he was like a popular <laughs> kid, but he was like he was more of a jock. 
And uh, so we had like this um, a partnership where we would trade comics to read. <laughs> and but you know, at school we didn't hang out together. And maybe when gym, we were in the same gym class. I'm, I'm sorry, I have to. I'm I'm now envisioning like the the after school special where they think that the star athlete is secretly doing drugs. You know, he's hooked on pills or performance enhancing yeah. drugs or something. And they find <laughs> no, his big bad secret is that he hooks up with another kid and they trade they trade comics back and forth. Yeah, uh, so you know that's how I read uh, like uh, the Detroit Justice League. Or <laughs> there were books that he liked that I just never. I hadn't picked up up to then, uh, and we would trade. And I, I know we did trade books on a permanent basis, but for the most part, it was here. I'm lending you this entire series, and uh, you're lending me that that entire series. And that's how I read Daredevil, and uh, I liked it enough that you know when I added that extra dollar, uh, I decided to to start buying Daredevil. I think really I started buying Daredevil for like Fall of the Mutants. Mm-hmm. Uh, or Inferno. In- Inferno, from yeah, Inferno yeah. yeah. So that was before. So the Inferno. And it was Anne Nascenti, John Romita Jr., who I liked on uh, X-Men. And it was a very strange experience with a lot of weird villains that I had never – you know, I was midstream, basically. It was Typhoid Mary and uh, you know the guy with uh, guns for his arms, Bushwhacker. And so I just fell into it in the – like I, what I'd read – didn't bring me up to speed, basically, because I think uh, Mario or Marco or he had a name like that, you know, like that Italian name. His collection didn't go so far or, you know, we we weren't trading comics by the time that uh, I, I got into Daredevil. But from there, read read the whole Nocenti thing, uh, collected the trade paperbacks later for the stuff that I'd missed, uh, the Frank Miller stuff, the, the, the rest of the O'Neill stuff that I'd missed in my collection. Obviously, I'd read them. And then there's my big break, and then I so I missed uh, even through the 2000s. I missed the the uh, the runs that you mentioned up uh, through Brubaker, all of that. So I came back to it with Wade, and um, and read that run. So I, it's, it's I've been on and off, and I know there's a lot of good material that I haven't read. So that's good because that means I can expect to read good Daredevil stories into my future, even though it's uh, technically the past for the character, um, but. He's, he is malleable, and I, I like, I like like these strange power sets. And I think the super senses are a strange power set that you can do a lot with, and so you can do a lot of tricks with them. I think like Mark Wade is especially good at playing with powers right. uh, and uh, deriving what those powers. You know, it's a little bit like uh, the Flash in the '60s, but his own Flash as well. Mm. You know, it's like what do these powers mean, and where can I bring them? Uh, ultimately, what what are the uh, the consequences of having these powers? And uh, he's played a lot with that with that in his Daredevil run as well. So I, I still say the end of Senti run is my favorite. I think that's the kind of comics that I I enjoy the most mm-hmm. are these weird things that you can only do in comics, basically. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. Okay, all right. Well, folks, we are going to take a short promo break right here. When we come back, we are going back to the Silver Age to talk about Daredevil issue 26 and the menace of the Stiltman. Don't go away. So which is the hottest Marvel character? Iron Man. Eight Man. I can't decide between Professor X and Magneto, so both. Loki. Is Wolverine Marvel? What about uh, White Tiger? What about White Tiger? <laughs> Doc Samson. Who's he? Star Fox. That's a video game. The girls go on a journey to determine every Marvel character's hotness in Ohatmu or Not, the official handbook of the Marvel Universe podcast you didn't know you wanted. Available on iTunes and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. From Reno, I was trailed by 20 hounds. Didn't get to sleep that night till the morning came around. Set out running, but I take my time. A friend of the devil is a friend of mine. I get home before daylight, just might get some sleep tonight. Ran into the devil, baby, and only 20 bills. Spent the night in Utah in a cave up in the hills. 
set out and run, but I take my time. A friend of the devil is a friend of mine. I get home before daylight, just might get some sleep tonight. Daredevil 26 was released on January 10th, 1967, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, even though the cover has a March 67 date. The cover, drawn by Colin with Frank Giacquea inks, is an aerial shot looking down on New York City with Daredevil in the foreground locked in combat with the towering Stiltman high above the rooftops. There's also an inset panel showing another villain with the caption saying, At last, the masked marauder unmasked. What do you think of this cover? Uh, Well, you know, it's doing what you want a Stiltman cover to do. (laughs) Has anyone ever said that? Uh, <laughs> the the idea, the the vertiginous uh, aspect of it, the the weird perspective. I think you, there's a lot of Daredevil uh, covers cover work where Daredevil is falling, or you know he's he's high up in the uh, you know in 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 space in the negative space of a city. So uh, in this case, Stiltman is like coming rushing up at him in a way that is surprising. So. Um, I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of, you know, it's it's 60s Marvel where you've got inset panels, like the face of the mass marauder in there and a lot of arrows pointing to, I mean, arrows pointing to other arrows almost. Uh, <laughs> just, the, just the hype machine, yeah, the Stanley yeah, hype machine. And there's a lot of that in the book as well. You know, Stanley, his voice is coming through uh, in the captions and, and it's like we, every time we need to move to another part of the story. You know, Stanley's with you, holding your hand. Uh, so it starts on the cover, yeah. And you, you know, you got a big, strong block of blue and a big, strong block of red. Uh, and so that that cover is not one of the the greats. Uh, let's say the one that one of the, the most remembered, maybe because Stiltman is a bit of a joke today, but uh, uh, it works for me. He's a joke, but there's something that I like about him. I find uh, I find a kind of charm in him. And one of the things that I do like about him is the first thing that you said is when you get Stiltman on a cover, it allows or even forces the artist to do something different with the camera positioning. To really get a sense of how tall he is, you kind of have to put, pick the camera up and take it off the ground. So we do see a lot of either like low angles like looking very far up or in this case the you know like this very aerial shots looking down at the roofs of the city with the hero and locked in you know fighting stiltman who has taken away his rope his billy club rope whatever so now daredevil is just kind of falling or plummeting and i just like the way when you have a character like stiltman who you know exists so far high up there even as ridiculous as it looks it makes for creative and, and visually interesting looking covers, I think. So I, I really enjoy this one. I think it's cool. So. Yeah, I wonder where his, what his starting position was or if he moved a foot because he's got one foot on <laughs> one like side of the block. They're like a block away from each other. Yeah. Yeah. They're on, they're, his feet are literally on different streets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that's interesting. I love that. All right. The story, Stiltman Strikes Again, is written and edited by Stan Lee, lettered by Artie Semek, and illustrated by Gene Colan. Uh, just as illustrated, so I think he does the pencils and inks himself on this one. Daredevil heads home, crossing town through a combination of leaps and swings the way only he can. Arriving at the law office of Nelson and Murdoch, Daredevil sneaks in through the window and begins to change into his civilian dress as Matt Murdock, attorney. Midway through changing, Matt instead decides to dress up as his made-up twin brother, the carefree Mike Murdock. He changed his hair, puts on sunglasses, changes his clothes, and whole demeanor like a method actor playing a part. When he hears his partner, Foggy Nelson, and their secretary, Karen Page, outside his office, he starts to sing loud enough to get their attention. Karen is charmed by Mike Murdoch's antics, while Foggy thinks he's kind of a jackass. As they're leaving, they bump into Mr. Farnham, the building manager, who is none too thrilled that his tenants are defending the costumed criminal called Leapfrog in court tomorrow. Foggy justifies their decision, citing that while it may not be the ideal client he wants to represent, our system of justice requires that everyone gets the best legal representation available. The next day, Matt goes to the trial as loudmouth jackass Mike Murdoch and watches the proceedings while seated next to Karen. Foggy never gets the chance to defend his client as the prosecutor has Leapfrog try on his spring boots to show they fit. 
Leapfrog takes the opportunity to jump out the courthouse window and escape, but the boots were not fastened tightly and he falls three stories. With only one boot on, Leapfrog breaks his leg upon landing. Back in the courthouse, Matt slash Mike Murdock slips past the crowd of reporters and changes into his Daredevil costume. When he goes outside to recapture the Leapfrog, he is shocked to find the Stiltman is there. Stiltman had gone to the courthouse to rescue Leapfrog, but arrived too late for the impulsive defendant. Stiltman then planned to drag the injured Leapfrog to safety, but when Daredevil shows up, Stiltman abandons any concern he might have had for Leapfrog and focuses on his own security. They start to fight while the cops recapture Leapfrog. Daredevil swings around, but Stiltman uses his hydraulically powered legs to grow taller and shorter at super speed to avoid Daredevil. Stiltman also has a super tough and durable armor built into his costume. He's also packing a ray gun of some kind. An editor's note slash flashback reveals the last time Daredevil fought Stiltman, way back in Daredevil number 8. Stiltman was hit with his own molecular condenser ray gun and seemed to shrink out of existence. A note tells us eventually that wore off and he grew to normal size. Then he built a powerful suit of armor. Across town, an armored car pulls up near the law office of Nelson and Murdoch. A hydraulic platform rises up, and the fiendish masked marauder sneaks into their office through the window. The marauder is convinced that the lawyers know Daredevil, though neither of them could actually be the man without fear. The marauder removes his mask to reveal for the audience that he is, in fact, none other than Frank Farnham, the building manager. Back at the courthouse, Stiltman unhooks Daredevil's rope from the building, but as Daredevil falls, he manages to lash it around Stiltman's legs and then twist his body so that he falls spinning around Stiltman. In doing so, Daredevil winds the rope around Stiltman's giant legs, drawing them together until he loses his balance and falls to the ground in the alley. Daredevil tries to pacify the crowd of onlookers. At the same time, Farnham shows up and grabs Stiltman, putting him in the trunk of his car. Daredevil arrives in time to see that Stiltman has vanished, but he recognizes Farnham and tells him to get lost, because it could be dangerous there. Hearing Daredevil call him by name, Farnham is now certain that the man without fear is someone that he knows personally. Karen Page and Foggy Nelson watch Daredevil from the courthouse window. Karen is charmed by what she sees and believes that Daredevil is Mike Murdock. And that's the end. So, Cisco, what did you think of this story? Uh, well, it's a fun... I mean, it's very talky. Mm. That's that's one of the things. And, I mean, there's a joke up front. It wasn't really... Uh, they sort of knew what they were, they, they were offering here because it's the, the lettering credit is lots of little lettering by. <laughs> and this was, well, technically written by the letterer. So I'm wondering if, if he put that in there or if uh, Stan wanted that in there. But uh, it, it seems like a comment on, geez, guys, this was a lot of work for the paycheck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, because there's a lot of explanations. And, of course, it's older comics where uh, you're going – um, you know, you're explaining things that have gone before. Stiltman strikes again. Where, well, who is he? Who was he? And this is the first appearance of his armored suit. Uh, so he didn't even look like that uh, previously. So you've got to explain all of that stuff. Plus, you've got your ongoing subplot with uh, the mass marauder. Plus, uh, they're defending in court. They're defending Leapfrog. You know, you got your Frogman and your uh, your Stiltman in the same issue. Yeah. <laughs> it's a real. Uh, the real rogues gallery. Um, and then uh, you've also got this is the era of Mike Murdoch, uh, who is, uh, this you know, is the second he, appearance. Actually, He just premiered in the previous issue before this one. It feels like he's been there forever. I mean, <laughs> Karen and Foggy know he's Daredevil or, you know, so uh, it's like I created a secret identity. So if I ever get caught or my mask is ripped off or somebody wonders what the connection is. Oh, my brother is Daredevil. I'm not. <laughs> And so he can keep his cover as a blind person who is not especially abled mm-hmm. uh, as Daredevil is. So uh, it's it's very um, it's very kooky and very sixties, and yet it's still grounded in a way. You know, it's still the, the action is very fluid and dynamic, and there's a lot of it. Uh, I often looked at the bottom of the page to see where we were, where I was at 
Mm-hmm. And it's like only 10 pages have gone by. <laughs> That's how it felt. I mean, there are a lot of words in this, but a lot of action as well. So it's not like, you know, like tiny little panels where stuff is going on. It's just it feels like a full read in a way that, you know, sometimes modern comics lack. Yeah, it's it's not a quick read, but I also don't think it's a slog. It's, it's meaty. Uh, I mean, as you said, I think, I mean, just... Just taking a quick casual glance, I bet the average is four word balloons per panel. Mm. Um, some of them have a few, uh, have a little bit less. Some of them have a lot more. Depends on the size of the panel. Um, but I'm, I mean, I'm guessing like twenty to twenty-five word balloons per page, if not more. You know, uh, I mean, it's yeah, lots of little lettering. Yeah, it's been this level dialogue yeah it's talky but it's it's you know stan lee's kind of talky which is not right. like bendis is kind of talky and it's not just yeah it's not just the characters it is stan lee in the caption boxes mm-hmm. and it's like he's ushering us towards a full page uh recap of stiltman uh what happened to stiltman before and it's like well you know uh warning you know watch out for the the, the sound effects uh, you know it's like stuff like that so yeah. it's it's a comic that knows it's a comic you know there's something fun about that uh, in the the Stanley 60s Marvel, uh, that voice that that comes out. I I would almost think he's like creating a caricature of himself with a Mike Murdoch character. He's just so mm. out. There. Like, I mean, it's he he has like a, a vet, he looks. I mean, in the and on page four, you know, like he he looks like a barbershop quartet singer. He's got like a yellow vest. He's got like a thin tie. He puts out. He he trades the 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 glasses that Matt wears for these like big kind of more visor like shades. And he's got this hat and he's just kind of like singing and dancing to himself so that he'll be heard. It's like, what the hell? Well, you got, you got to realize he's still Matt Murdock. Yeah. Yeah. uh, In disguise. So the outfit is garish because Mm. it's been chosen by a blind person. (laughs) The, the, uh, I also, I mean, it's, I know what's actually going on, but I like my interpretation of it. Uh, he, Mike, Mike Murdoch is a character that drops movie references, you know, as quickly as he breathes, basically. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's just one movie reference after another. Now, they all happen to be older movies. You know, it's Cary Grant. And it's, yeah, yeah. so it's like now we're in the late 60s. He's talking about movie stars, maybe still current, but for the most part, it's like movies from the 40s and 50s. And that makes sense because Stan Lee is writing him. Right. And Stan Lee's own pop culture would be older films. It also makes sense for Matt Murdock, who probably hasn't seen a movie <laughs> since he was a kid. Yeah, yeah. What would be the point of watching, you know, you could listen to movies, mm-hmm. but he's leading more than a double life at this point. He's leaving. He's leading a triple life, and he can't actually see images. So uh, this, this is a place where the, the radar sense doesn't work. So basically, he hasn't seen a movie in a long time. So all his references are dated. I know it's Stan Lee that's dated, but uh, it also makes the, the comic actually more universal because by taking references that are not of the day, but are well remembered 15 years in it, you know, 15, mm. from 15 years ago, then it, they're still remembered today. You know, the stuff that's been forgotten has been forgotten and he doesn't drop any reference that I can't make out right. as a, a movie fan of 2020. So um, I, I kind of like that. I, it's like, also, it's it's a way for him to diver- differentiate himself from Matt because Matt would not be watching movies. Right. So Mike is apparently a cinephile, you know, so pe- people won't be uh, – I know they're like twin brothers, like the fake twin, but <laughs> twin brothers. But, of course, they're not leading the same life and one is uh, visually abled and the other one isn't. So uh, it's, it's a small detail, but, I, you know, it's, it's, it's also part of the fun. But, but crazy. You, you yeah, know, Mad, Mur- Mad Murdoch's fake twin brother. Okay, whatever. <laughs> but also, like all of that aside, like he is choosing to play the part of Mike Murdoch in these scenes when he doesn't need to. Nothing was gained by him drawing attention to himself when Foggy and, and Karen were leaving the office and doing that. And there's no reason for him to be showing up in court to watch as Mike Murdoch when he could have been showing up and, and sitting next to Foggy as second counsel for the, for the case. No, um, he questions himself and his own sanity in those moments. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's the daredevil persona, the, you know, the one of the ones that I mentioned, the daredevil that has fun with it. And if Matt is supposed to be a little more dour, a little more he calls himself conservative in the story, it's basically playing daredevil 
in the open air without a mask. Mm-hmm. It, you know, the sort of the, the same wisecracking kind of hero. Uh, and that even his supporting cast think he's he's Daredevil. He's, he's the actual Daredevil. Yeah. So uh, I think he's just letting his freak flag fly <laughs> in a way. I love on page eight, like in the court, we've had at this point four or five pages of just talking and conversations, characters in different scenes, just talking to each other. And we're in the middle of this trial and the prosecutor puts the, the leaf rug, gives him the boots to try on. And that bottom panel, he's just exploding out of the seat with his hands to the side and his feet up. So you can see the springs on the shoes. This is, this issue, we get three villains, as we kind of teased. We've got Stiltman, Leapfrog, even though he's not in costume. Leapfrog's first appearance was also in the in the previous issue before this. We got the first, That issue had the first appearance of Mike Murdock and Leapfrog, um, and this one is the fallout for those. And then we get the Mass Marauder. So three villains who are very much of this era and probably not well regarded by people who look at the Frank Miller and, and Bendis and Brubaker no. versions as the, you know, kind of like the Netflix Daredevil is the way Daredevil has to be portrayed. They would think these guys are silly. I love right. I love these types of villains. Not so much the Mass Marauder. I don't really care about him, but Leapfrog, I have a ton of love in my heart for this character. What do you think about these guys, these villains? Well, Leapfrog, first of all, on brand, wears a green suit to court. <laughs> yes, uh, he does. Second, uh, I call mistrial. Why? <laughs> I mean, Foggy gives the opening statement, and then so then we, we obviously we get the prosecution's case. So why do they get to call the the defendant? Because that's what they do. They call the defendant. Yeah. Uh, that is not the prosecution's purview, you know. <laughs> uh, and then they, they let him escape, of course. They let him try on a boot and um, he's out of there. Uh, this is the father of Frogman, a uh, favorite yes. at Ohad or Not. So I, almost, I have thought you picked this issue for me on the basis of that. I didn't, but okay. I was really pleased when I opened it up and saw that that leapfrog was in here. I was like, "Oh, he's gonna love this one." Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I like. Le- I did. I like. I these picked characters. this one. I was looking for. I was looking for a Gene Colan issue. I was looking for something early on in his career. And if I couldn't get the the first appearance of Gladiator for a cheap price, then this was like the oldest issue that I could find for like two dollars or something in a bin. I got this one. So mm. and but the yeah, Mass Marauder. When I, when I actually heard that leapfrog was in this, I was like, "Yes." <laughs> Well, I was I was happy to see him there because that, that was unexpected. He was the the third villain, the one that isn't on the cover. The Mass Marauder, I know very little about, except that I was talking about uh, movie references earlier. It's like you're getting a lot of movie references, and then the the landlord shows up, who turns out to be the Mass Marauder, and he's played by Vincent Price. So yeah. uh, <laughs> it was it's like okay, Gene Colan is a movie fan as well, and they're mm-hmm. actually casting these characters. And you almost want to look at who else is being cast in there, if, if anyone, you know. But Vincent Price, very close likeness, I felt. Uh, and uh, from then on, you know, that's the voice that I heard coming out of the character. Yeah. So Now, I'm, I'm reading this with the Marvel Masterworks uh, collection. Okay, yep. And uh, I, I just want to mention that because I hate it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean I hate the collection necessarily. It's just what Marvel was doing when they were reprinting these books. Uh, and it's also true of uh, the, the trade paperbacks I have of the the Frank Miller and the uh, it's true of like the Walt Simons, Simonson uh, Thor. The colors are so damn garish in that format. And the reason it's important here is because I don't think it works very well with Gene Colan's work. Like my, my first Gene Colan was uh, in black and white. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's one of those I've, – I've talked about this before, but it was in those jumbo books that we used to get here in French Canada. Uh, they were just like collections of Marvel and DC comics just slapped together in a big trade, black and white with the lettering replaced. And it was a mix, absurd mix, where <laughs> you would read a Fantastic Four story, then a Flash story, then a Tomb of Dracula. Then it went like that you know, sort of yeah, thing uh, and jumped all over the place. So Tomb of Dracula was my first Gene Colan at a tender age of whatever you are in third grade. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, and one Internet, probably yeah, yeah. yeah, probably one of the artists that I first noticed had his particular style. I mean, in American comics, at mm-hmm. least. Because, you know, I, obviously I could tell the difference between Tintin and Asterix. But the that that in those superhero or, I mean, superhero adjacent comics that were collected that way, that he his style was very very distinctive and in black and white it looks great because you know whenever color works well when when your lines are harder where you know the the characters are sort of complete 
yeah. uh, in a way that you, I would call it like a coloring book effect. Then blocks of colors make sense. When you're looking at Gene Colan, uh, there's a lot of hatching and unfinished. It, it, he doesn't draw the outline on things right. necessarily, right? Like uh, like Matt Murdock's hair when he's just like ruffling his own hair. Okay, you're gonna put you're gonna slap a sort of orange red on there, uh, and in the original comic, that's what it looks like. But in the collections on the brighter paper and the brighter colors, it's like, oh, my God, this is just overpowering the art. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I would have a better time looking at this in a uh, Marvel Essential, Yeah. even though yeah. even though it's like uh, those were really dirty. And uh, the ones I have is like you read them and you, your, your hands are dark from the ink afterwards. But still, I think Gene Colan works better without the colors. That said, a Daredevil story, you also want the colors. I mean, you want those reds and those blues and those, especially in this era. It it would work as a noir, you know, in most of his, the eras. But in this era, I sort of want it to be colorful as well. I want that leapfrog in a green suit. But still, I there is that, um, the, the reprint of it, I, I find blinding. Yeah. Not, not a pun. <laughs> I can see that, yeah, yeah. So then we get to, we do get his fight with uh, Stiltman, which uh, allows for some creativity. I mean, as I was saying when we talked about the cover, Stiltman is kind of ridiculous. Like the the whole concept of the character, he's got like these extent hydraulic extending legs that can make him really really tall, like tall enough that he dwarfs buildings in New York City. It's like, okay, how does that make him a more efficient thief? I don't exactly know. Um, but there's just something about, like, the look of his costume, the fact that he's got, like, this weird sort of half hood covering the back of his head, and, like, this, like, modulated mouthpiece, like, underneath his chin, so you'd think, like, that would, like, allow his voice to be kind of, like, booming like a megaphone for when he's so tall, and just, like, this kind of, like, blaster pistol and everything. He, he does not look like the type of character you would find in a in urban setting for, like, a Daredevil comic. Like, if you, like, I mean, on page 12, the, the bottom left thing where it's just him from like the waist up holding blaster you would look at that and think it's a sci-fi space story like that would be something from like the legion or um not legion but uh guardians of the galaxy or something like that or uh anything even like marvel star wars or something that's one of the when he's firing the gun hmm. just that one panel could be kirby you yeah. know it's yes could, could yeah, been... that's very kirby looking yeah yeah but um in this era the the, the villains are sort of well, I mean, are they any more goofy than the, the Spider-Man villains of the same era? No, no, not really. No, it's just that that was the style, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, I got an idea. Stilts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or frogs. Or springs. Or springs. Yeah, exactly. What, what can you so, springs and frogs, yeah. They would throw everything at this. You know, uh, the, the Marvel Universe entire had – didn't necessarily have a house – they had a house style, yeah. uh, but not a house style per book. <laughs> Which would become true later. I mean, later you would have a, okay, these are really Spider-Man type villains. Okay, these are really Daredevil type villains. And that would be pushed towards the noir and the, the gritty crime story. At this point, he's facing colorful villains and with gimmicks. You say that, and I, I just thought about it. There are four costumed characters in this book. They are all very monochromatic. Mm -hmm. Daredevil is all red. Stiltman is all blue. Leapfrog is green. He, well, his costume would be green. He's just wearing a green suit in this, but traditionally his costume is green. And the masked marauder has like this two tone, but both purple. It's like a plum colored purple, like like jumpsuit, and then like the the cape and the mask and everything is like a wine or or a, like maroon almost purple. Yeah, no, they're very simple designs color wise, but uh, otherwise, I mean, it's still. I mean to draw that to draw the the stilts and those perspectives and I feel like I feel like I recognize those uh, <laughs> those crowd scenes I mean I feel like I look at the crowd down below in some pages and that one of the things I feel looks the most like Gene Colan yeah. you know because it's just Gene Colan but it's early Gene Colan so it's not yet the the, the sort of more expressionistic style that he has later yeah. uh, it's not quite there it's a little more solid and less. I feel like I, I look at more modern uh, Gene Colan work, and it looks like everything is in sort of like a fog. Mm -hmm. It's a fog with images playing on it. Uh, and that's not the case here. There's a lot of solid blacks, a lot of solid inking yeah. uh, and shapes. But I recognize those crowds. I mean, they're all, they've all got these little coats, and I feel like this could be Transylvania. <laughs> you know, <it's, laughs> yeah. There are moments that are more – that I can see his style, that the style he will evolve later. 
uh, in here. And uh, I, I find a, I've had a lot of joy for that stuff. Mm-hmm. Colin, I f- because he worked on Daredevil over a couple of different eras. He would come back occasionally. Yeah. I think he – I haven't actually counted. I think he did almost 100 issues of Daredevil. Oh. When all of it. I mean, maybe not that much, but I know he did more Daredevil than he did Tomb of Dracula, and he did 70-something issues of that, uh, counting like the, the, the magazines or the giant size. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think this is this was the, the character that he worked on the most throughout his entire career. And the, mo- uh, the the superhero he most worked on, for sure, yeah, yeah. because he became known for more horror mystery kind of stuff right. um, between Dracula and yeah. Night Force. And, uh, so it's kind of interesting to see it be- like he's doing the Marvel method. And but there are still some hints of horror in here, you know, even though he hasn't really done that yet. If you look at like uh, the, the flashback on page 15, mm-hmm. uh, when uh, Stiltman comes out of the. Quantum, <laughs> yeah, the quantum realm. Quantum realm. I guess yeah. it's very much the quantum realm of the Marvel movies, right, sort right, of. Exactly. Yeah. So he comes out of that quantum realm, and he's just in the woods, and that like like that picture, him yeah. in a suit in the woods. That it's is like a this, horror uh, he- scene. heavy heavy shading shading in the back, and like the woods, sort of the the tree, the branches kind of disappearing into the fog. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I see that 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 could be. That could definitely be something from one of his like Tomb of Dracula or one of his other kind of monster sci-fi stories or something. From- and yet you have a very dynamic, heroic, muscled Daredevil. You have a very pretty Karen. Uh, so he's you know he's he's still playing within the bounds of the superhero genre. And yet I feel that interest. Why Vincent Price? You know I feel <laughs> that interest in horror. Yeah, so. yeah definitely. Back to the villains a little bit. Um, again, thinking there there are different tones, there are different um, subgenres for Daredevil stories, as we were saying, and you know, looking at the more grounded, the the noir type of stories of the Frank Miller and Bennis, those definitely, you know, you, when you think of those, you think of the Kingpin and Bullseye and Elektra and the Hand and Daredevil just fighting like gangsters and everything like that. It would be hard to see. You know that type of daredevil fighting the jester or you know leapfrog or electro or you know somebody like that or, or um, the matador, but I mean he does. And, and do you have like a couple of favorite daredevil villains? Uh, it's hard to say because exactly it's exactly like that. You know it's like and his villains have sort of sometimes migrated to other books or vice versa. Kingpin coming into his sure, yeah. book. Uh, but I still feel that when I think about Dare- Daredevil villains, I think about that Frank Miller era, no matter what. I mean, it's Kingpin, it's a Bullseye. Those I feel, I think Bullseye is probably the more one-to-one mm-hmm. kind of match. Uh, I still feel that those are the iconic ones. So there is power in that story, in Born Again and yeah. uh, and the stuff that came before that. So I would still, I would, I think I would still say that, you know, even though I love this era and I, there's just something, oh, cool, they're going to bring back Stiltman for another engagement. Yeah, I like the goofiness of that, but yeah. I do, I think of them as, I mean, the closest in the early era to to the sort of stuff that they're doing now is the Owl. I love the know? Owl. Yeah. So he's like sort of a uh, a midway point, I suppose. Yeah. He, you know, he's a crime lord. He's kind of colorful, but he's still kind of restrained. Um, and um, uh, so there's interest in that. But uh, but generally, I it's, it's, at the same time, I came in during Nascenti's run where the villains were really whacked out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, <laughs> you know, so uh, it's hard for me to to say. This is my favorite. If if I call like one engagement that was not a, a Daredevil villain, but my favorite encounter with a villain is actually the Acts of Vengeance issue, where Daredevil goes up against Ultron. Oh yeah, <laughs> that is one of the weirdest, uh, <laughs> one of the weirdest stories uh, that Daredevil has had. Uh, he's up against a villain that he's completely outmatched. Yeah, and it is the probably my favorite. Well, easily my favorite. Acts of Vengeance issue or tie-in. Uh, I'm not saying that Ultron is a Daredevil villain, but I no, have a, a lot yeah. of fun memories memories about that particular uh, matchup. Yeah, you mentioned the Owl, and I've always loved it. And I mean, honestly, this is my this is my own bias. Obviously, I think the Kingpin is a much better, much more recognizable, and even even though the Kingpin originated with Spider-Man, I think the Kingpin is the iconic Daredevil villain. 
But given the choice, I would rather see Daredevil go up against the owl in a story. I think there's something visually about the owl with his his kind of weird hair and the, the facial hair and the, the 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 points and everything. But also what you can do with his like his long jacket that kind of billows out to almost look like wings, like he can glide, and the sort of like talon wrist thing and everything. I love the owl. Um, from the Nocenti run, I, I talked about her with Shag. I do really, really like Typhoid Mary because I think you can do a lot of interesting stuff with that character because when she changes personalities, she also changes her pulse rate, her body temperature, and that can screw with Matt's radar sense. Like, that she, like, that she can actually, like, blind him in a way that nobody else can. Um, to, to those things. And I think that is a really cool, uh, aspect of her powers. Um, I also, I, I do love the gladiator, uh, as just like a sort of street level, just a brawler type of villain that, that Daredevil can fight. I love gladiator. And I, not joking, not being ironic, I like Leapfrog. It's just a weird looking guy with a gimmick of, for bouncing and stuff like that. So. Yeah. No, gladiator also reformed at one point. Yeah, so yeah, he's, yeah, he's a little yeah. bit like, you know, one of Flash, Flash's rogues yeah. in that sense. So I, you know, uh, have some affection for him. Uh, and But it, sometimes I think, like, writers are looking at what villains across the Marvel Universe could give Daredevil a good run, you know, just because of their powers mm-hmm. and his senses. So, for example, Kevin Smith used Mysterio. Right, right. In his yeah. run, uh, you know, perpetually late Mark run. Mark Wade used the Claw, Claw the Master of Sound, yeah. Right, so stuff like that is, I feel like they originated elsewhere, but there's something about Daredevil and his power set that mm-hmm. makes him perfect to just like poach villains from across the Marvel Universe because, oh, wouldn't that be interesting, rather yeah. than villains that he developed himself. And now that the Spider-Verse has sort of re-co-opted Kingpin, as a Spider-Man villain, I think like oh okay, like like the public co- the public consciousness is going to remember oh well he's also a Spider-Man villain maybe he's more of a Spider-Man villain and I know the Daredevil TV show still used Kingpin that that's a reason to bring in the Owl mm-hmm. as a Kingpin wannabe yeah uh, if you will but at the same time as uh, uh, the actual original war you know crime lord that Daredevil fought or or steal Silvermane from Spider-Man and it's almost like Ultron <laughs> he's got a weird yeah. robot body. <laughs> Daredevil has faced Silvermane in the past. So, um, you know, it's all the same city. (laughs) And so if you're doing organized crime stories, then, you know, Daredevil and Spider-Man are going to have basically the same villains and Punisher and whoever else you want to bring into that. Uh, Before we go, do you have uh, a favorite page from this issue? Or if you could get the original art without the Marvel Masterworks recoloring, um, but like a page of like original like pencil or ink art from this page, what would you want? I picked page two. So it's just a daredevil swinging around the city. You've got actual uh, New York landmarks, a lot of fluid action. uh, And I like I just like the story that's being told there. As those characters talking, it's like I like the just those two guys going. Uh, there's another superhero. Is like, yeah, you can't, you know, well, what's the line in this town? You can't uh, turn around without tripping over one of. <laughs> yeah, yep. It's 1967, but already, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, New York is full of them, and New Yorkers are already jaded. So, <laughs> and I just like that, you know, that idea, and and it's basically it's not really part of the story. Mm-hmm. It's just Daredevil going back home. And thinking about dressing up as Mike uh, and uh, jumping off trucks and uh, there's a little bit of chaos in there. I think that page is probably uh, my favorite to own. I actually went with a page that doesn't even have Daredevil on it. Um, it has Mike slash Matt, uh, page nine. It's when the leapfrog, the defendant is leaping out the window and it starts with him crashing through the glass window. And that second panel, that's just sort of like his silhouette as you see the one boot fall off. And he's just like in midair, there's like no background. You just see the shards of glass. And that just like looking at that, like I crack up at that. Cause it's like, as much as I said, I love leapfrog unironically. There's just something that seems very on point of that. Yes, of course, he's going to leap out of a, a courthouse window on the third floor and through some stupidity he's going to fall and break his leg or break his foot or something but survive um, yeah of course of course he's fine um, uh, yeah. but yeah no that's a good one i and it's very cinematic i mean mm-hmm. uh you, colin is really uh, strong with the uh first of all real clothes yeah you know there were people in suits jumping out of windows 
that is not actually as easy as a skin tight figure doing the sort of same thing and not for it to look right. So um, it just looks like we're watching a movie <laughs> without any superheroes until, of course, Stilt Man yeah. <laughs> reaches for him. Um, just I, I came to rescue you from the court because I thought, man, we'd make great partners. <laughs> and I kind of want to see that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that actually works. If they would be interesting partners or not, I don't know when what G- value you get from the two of them working together. But yeah, but I think all their thefts are in unprotected windows. <laughs> yeah, I think that's or their. Blips. They're just low flying zeppelins that they can reach. <laughs> yeah, no, they're basically just. I mean, you're in New York, high built, you know, tall buildings. Nobody's protecting the, the high windows, <laughs> so their shtick is stealing stuff from apartments that are high up. Both of them. That's what they do. <laughs> Again, though, why? Why both? Why do you need them both? Like, <laughs> so, just lo- they're lonely. <laughs> well, I mean, Stilt Man is very lonely. He just came out of a wormhole. Um, you know, he has no friends, no nothing. Yeah. And uh, he said, "Wow, this guy Leapfrog. <laughs> why not? He gets me." <laughs> All right. Well, Cisco, thank you very much for being on this episode and helping me cover this story. Um, where else can our listeners find you in the blog or podcastosphere? The blog is at ciscoid.blogspot.com. Still post an article a day on comics, pop culture. And uh, the rest is all on Fire and Water Podcast Network, uh, except unless I'm a guest somewhere else, somewhere else, but I can't really point you to that. Uh, and yeah, the Marvel show is Oh Hot We're Not. Well, thank you very much again, because, uh, uh, yeah, Daredevil, he, he's not my favorite, but he really should be, as I said, because I, I get so much joy out of reading Daredevil stories, and uh, and seeing him drawn by my favorite artist is uh, always a treat. Listeners, as always, thank you for tuning in. If you liked our discussion, please support the show on social media by liking or favoriting the posts on Facebook and Twitter. You can leave a comment on the episode post at fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can always go to iTunes or Apple Music, Apple Podcasts, whatever they're calling themselves now. Leave a nice five-star review for FW Presents or any other show on the Fire and Water Network. If you like this show or other shows on the Fire and Water Network, please consider donating to our Patreon page. Go to patreon.com slash fwpodcasts for additional information. Until next time, thank you for listening. Well, you come the man with a look in his eye. It's fair on nothing but full of pride.